I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. Here's your host, Adam Taylor. What's well, good, y'all? Happy Friday. I'm joined by my boy, Mr. Brendan Nunes. He's chilling in the heat wave. Still hot. It's been raining here for like six days now. It's not even a joke anymore. I could swim to my car this morning. How's it going, Brendan? It's going good. Uh, a lot less water here, it sounds like. Like you said, still a little warm for sure. Uh, but yeah, inside in my AC-conditioned apartment right now, ready to talk some basketball. Bro, I got the heating on. Like, yeah, it, it's you got the heat on? on? Is yeah, that for, a... like, for days, dude. Mm-hmm. Like, it turns off while I sleep, and then it turns back on the minute I wake up. I mean, like... No, no yeah, since, since the Celtics lost, I refuse to use the heat. Oh, really? If I did that, I'd have hypothermia by now. <laughs> Just <laughs> unloyal. Say that again. You're a traitor for using the heat so much. Yeah, well, you know, we don't all live in Southern California or Northern California now. I guess, live. I guess. Fair you know, enough. We can't all be that lucky slash unlucky at the same time. Oh, really? We're a little bit of both? Well, I mean, you're in Northern California, so you're a little bit unlucky that you're not oh, further okay. south. You know? I'm like... A neighbor to lucky yeah like there we go <laughs> you're lucky centric i guess mm-hmm. yeah, yeah yeah just from a luck exposure a little bit of it rubs off on me yeah you know it's like it's like being friends <laughs> with a leprechaun like it's cool but you're not a leprechaun so oh oh so it's like covering a leprechaun rather than actually like being on the team with the leprechaun yeah like a nice cheap shot but yeah but that's been the one it's it's both of us <laughs> It's both of us. <laughs> it's like talking about basketball but not playing basketball, right? Right. Right. I mean <laughs> I mean we can look at it like that. I'm sure that a lot of people will be agreeing right now that it's like you could say what you want, but you know, put it on the court and you ain't doing nothing. That's true, yeah. I so is what when is this coming out? Is this coming we're recording this on a Thursday. This is getting released a Friday. Yes, sir. So, tonight, when you're hearing this, is this the last game of the NBA Finals? Miami I mean, and LA. I, I hate they to change to the Mamba jerseys. Did you yeah, see this? Yeah, I saw this. Which is so cheesy. Like, but I like they haven't lost in them. I hate to say it, but I kind of want it to be. It's kind of cool. Yeah, I get it. Like, look. I kind of want it to end now because I, I kind of want to get for, look forward now and start having Celtics conversations that don't revolve around trade Haywood. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of don't want to see the Lakers play anymore because I feel like a traitor watching every time, watching every Laker game. I'm like, what am I doing, dude? I just get so mad. I'm like, this should have been Boston. This should have been Boston. Yeah, and it's like... I was just look- like, this would have been a better matchup. You see, the only thing is Miami have still been quite consistent with how they force um, force turnovers, and that's pretty much the only nice thing I can say about Miami at this point. Yeah, well, LA can just like actually break the zone right in a way that Boston couldn't, and Boston adapted and started to do a good job. But Miami has, or I'm sorry, LA has this like low post dominance that they can go to and abuse the heck out of that zone, especially with offensive rebounding and just. Yeah, penetrating the entire time. Yeah, and I saw a tweet from uh, Nekius Duncan about 20 minutes ago where he was uh, 
he'd kind of done a little bit of a film breakdown on Twitter and he'd put done a voiceover and he was showing how they were countering pick up hedging pick um Miami hedging pick and rolls by sending their their guard middle and then having him flare out to the opposite side and then once Miami were countering that they were having him flare out to the open corner and it's like you kind of gotta give some credit to Frank Vogel at this point because some of these alterations haven't been on LeBron. They've been on the coaching staff and I weren't hot on Vogel coming in. I was like, he's got kind of an easy ride if he can keep everybody happy, but he's made some solid coaching alterations throughout this finals. Yeah. I mean, I, I, we've heard a bunch of people say it. I heard Zach Lowe say it on the pod, but you know, Vogel came in with the idea that we're going to be one of, if not the best defensive team in the league and everybody bought into it. They have the personnel to do it. And, and what stands out to me with the Lakers squad is like the, versatility that they have you know for a while AD gets crap for not wanting to play the five but they played another guy alongside him and just had ridiculous rim protection in JaVale McGee or or Dwight Howard there and were just ginormous in AD's so lengthy and quick enough that he can guard fours while simultaneously playing weak side rim protection alongside the other center or they downsize and they do go with AD at the five which I think is his best role they get a lot of Jerry Dudley minutes you see moments of the team being really small with you know Rondo Caruso KCP all out there together and then you see moments of not even running a point guard because Braun is the guy bringing the ball up the floor every time like LA just has so much versatility that they can run to their lineups alongside the two star players obviously that they can adapt to a bunch of these different situations and like being able to break Miami zone and get them to play man to man and then just attack Tyler hero or Duncan Robinson, every single possession, like Boston would have been able to, to abuse them in a man to man, but they couldn't stop that zone in order to get to the point of being man to man. How much do you think Boston could have offered more resistance against this Lakers team? Cause I feel like there's far more firepower and far more versatility in terms of offense for Boston. But their defense, I feel like, yeah, I feel like the like it would have been like a hundred and forty point score per team every every game because Boston's defense against AD and the the backdoor cuts that they've got Dwight Howard running off those back um, down screens, sorry those corner screens to get him free for the alley oops have been absolutely phenomenal. I don't know that. I. I... I don't know that Boston would be able to score that much on the Lakers. Like, I think any team would really freaking struggle against that lineup. And I think that if Miami had Drogic and Bam healthy the whole series, it would probably go over about the same as I think Boston would, and that's still the Lakers winning in six. Like, because of the injuries with Miami, I think that Boston would have put up a better fight. But if Miami was healthy, I I don't think it'd be all that different. Like, you know, there'd be a different energy to the finals because it's Lakers Celtics. And I feel like more people would care as much as that sucks to say for it being the finals. I think everybody's just writing it off as a Lakers win at this point after game one. I I mean, I'll admit like I totally done that and I've been very disinterested in the finals. There'd be more hype if it was Boston, but like, I think the outcome is probably pretty close to the same. Yeah. I mean, there's just too much size in the Lakers. They've just got, and they're really, really good at using it to, ridiculously devastating effect and, and then, they just have two of the five best players in the league i mean that helps right right like, it's insane like yeah like if you the pick and roll that those two can run the 
look, man, there's that much stuff going on off ball between LeBron and AD when neither are on the ball that it just causes the defense fits. Um, I know this is a Celtics podcast, so I don't want to stick on Lakers much longer than what we already have. But, man, I don't see... If that if them two stay together again next year, I don't see many teams being able to cause them too many problems if they just run it back. Okay, so I have a question for you. So the Lakers like had an opportunity this offseason, right, to go get one third guy or split the money among the roster and have a little bit more depth. And it's kind of they, – they chose to go for the depth, obviously, and Boston's in a situation where – they chose to have a top heavy roster and lack the depth. And like Gordon's the guy that probably stands out right now, you know, say there's 32 million on this deal. And it's like, this isn't like a trade situation or free agents that would happen. But for example, Gordon Hayward is making the same money as Mo Harkless, Josh Richardson and Jeremy Grant combined. Like, would you rather have Gordon Hayward or those three role players to fill out the roster? Yeah, I've been very big on defending Hayward, especially um, online. But you have to take those three guys to fill out the roster because you're getting so much more in terms of versatility and being it. You know, you sit Hayward, you lose everything he brings all in one go. Whereas you can plug and play a Mo Harkless and a Jeremy Grant in whenever you need to. So I think I'd take the three of them. Uh, and that's kind of hurt Boston this year with how top heavy they were. Right, yeah, and again, that's not a situation that like it would actually work out for Boston. I probably cherry picked three like decently good contracts, but it's not crazy. Like it's just the point of you know where you're going to be spending your money at the top or on some depth. And I think that there's an argument that when when Hayward's contract expires, unless he restructures for less, he could be one of these three. You know, and you're able to add two more or something like that. That you know you might need to consider just going after some pieces to fill out the roster and add some versatility around what your like core guys really are, who all of them are already pretty versatile outside of Kemba. Um, But yeah, it's just, it's interesting because it does feel like a little bit of a variance in roster construction between LA and Boston with that. I mean, what shot me the most if we're talking about like deals and making moves and stuff is I've seen loads of people talking about moving on from Kemba already. And Same. Like, I don't get it, dude. Like I do. I do. I genuinely do get it. And I understand the optics of it aren't good. And, you know, Boston at the best of times isn't a free agency destination and making trades of a guy that just signed a max deal, played one year with you, and then you move on from him. That just don't look good on the franchise. But I understand it, dude. But I think if you do that, then don't you do it at the same time as if Hayward chooses not to yeah. re-sign? You, do, you blow it up that way. If one domino falls, then you, you move the other domino and then you really embrace that youth movement. Right. But I just right. don't see... If, if Hayward stands pat and picks up that player option and you know people call in to move Canberra, I just don't see where you go from there. Yeah, okay, so I, I'm with you. I don't think that like Kemba should be moved. I think it's hard to cut a guy some slack when you just sign him to a max contract. But this was his first like legitimate playoff run past the first round. Um, I think that there's going to be a little bit of a learning curve with that, which you might not like to hear from a guy making $30 million plus, but I think that is what it is. He'll learn quickly. And also, apparently, there was a lingering injury. I don't know how much you want to put into that, but Danny said he felt like it was apparent. Um, yeah, I, I'm... I'm fine with what Kemba is bringing, but I think that like, it's an interesting question. Like in Hollinger's piece that he wrote about the cap situation for Boston today or yesterday, when you're listening to this, 
he mentioned that he thinks the team is like very much in a win now mode and that they should like commit to that almost a little bit. And he, and the, the young guys on the roster put that in a weird position talking about Romeo grant, um, Robert Williams, uh, Carson Edwards and say you were adding, I mean, you have three first rounders, but even if you add two of them, like you're committing a lot of minutes to what are going to be unproductive guys for the sake of the future. Do you think that this team should be sacrificing some of those young assets that are potential future pieces when like your best two guys really are like how old, what 21, 23, uh, I think between the two of them. And uh, do you, do you commit some of the younger guys for more of a win now, or are you okay with just like, listen, we're good enough that we have a chance this year, but we also are going to be better in the future. Well, this is the thing that Danny Ainge has done since he started collecting on that, on that draft track, um, that asset hold that he made from Brooklyn. He straddled the competitive now and the building for the future line. And that's a really hard line to straddle. And he's kind of come to this off season and everything's kind of reached ahead, Right. So he, like you say, he has all these young guys on the roster. He has a couple of older veterans that are, you know, all stars in their own right and capable of being very productive members on a championship team. But then you have to choose. You have to choose, right? Are we going to go all in for this championship or are we going to con- continue to build a young dynamic core and a young dynamic roster and bench so we can have sustained success like what we saw from the Warriors dynasty? And what I'm assuming we'll probably see from them again uh, next season and beyond for a year or two, I should say. But that's what you're kind of looking at. Like, Do you want that one chip or do you want to use your assets now and start building that dynamic dynasty and have three or four years of sustained success and sustained kind of competitiveness instead of look at the Lakers. Like if AD wins and walks, then they're not competitive again for God knows how long. It is a thin line. They're walking a really thin line. And people have different opinions. My personal opinion is I'd rather them embrace the youth movement and look to build a dynasty rather than chase one championship. I'm the same. And just because I think that you can simultaneously, like, be in the running for a championship if something weird happens one year. Like, we saw this year. They had a real opportunity while they also had a ridiculous amount of rookie guys there. And you probably could say, you know, if they would have traded their first and one of the young guys and had a bench piece that, you know, maybe they are able to move on to the chip, but probably lose to the Lakers still. Um, So was it really worth it? And I'll say that, like, you know, if you choose the younger route, which I also tend to be fond of, then you're you're really rolling the dice like it's it's a crapshoot, the lottery, even if you know, generally you do a good job scouting, which I think Boston, Boston does, you know, obviously um, with their two best guys being their own draft picks. Um, Well, uh, you know, they drafted them. It was acquired from Brooklyn, obviously. So I don't know, like you, but it is a crapshoot when it comes down to it. Um, You could completely miss on these valuable picks. And then, you know, like Tatum and Brown are not going to be a Anthony Davis and LeBron James, like, neither of them are going to be that level of player. Probably, I guess maybe Tatum Brown's not going to be right. So you you need another probably Jalen Brown level player in my opinion, um, or just a great cast of role guys, but like you need to hit on one more of these draft picks, right? Yeah. So this is a good thought exercise. If you, Let's look at it both ways. 
if you're going to commit to youth, then and you're really going to commit to youth, then what changes do you make to the roster now? Who do you look to to move on from? I I don't even know if you do really. I think that you're just waiting out the Kemba and Gordon contracts right now, but isn't and that enjoying limiting, success. Yeah, but isn't that limiting what you can do in terms of filling out that roster with? Because at the minute most of the constrictions that are on the Celtics due to cap space are because a large portion of their cap is taken up by two guys that are under the assumption if we're doing this as a thought exercise as you're committing to youth two of your biggest salary cap drains are in their 30s that's not committing to youth so under that thought exercise if you move on from both of them and you bring back some draft assets and some young decent young guys I'm talking you know you're giving up all stars I don't want no trash Right, But then if you commit to win now, then some of these rookies need to get packaged and moved. So I think Celtics are in an interesting position where they can kind of do a little bit of both. Like this line you're talking about that Danny has towed pretty well, I think he can keep that up a little bit because I think that you know having the 14th pick from Memphis is going to bring you some value along with, what is it, 26 and 30. Like you could probably package those and move up if you wanted. There's a lot of versatility what you could do with those you have some good young talent on the roster that i think are going to be okay role players in romeo grant i would hope rob williams and and you'll be able to get a few more so i think that like oh jalen brown for example learned in a successful environment and i think there's a crazy amount of value in that and you're getting pulled when you're not benefiting the team when you're directly harming the team and i think that that teaches you out of bad habits and it, that is only possible if there's a better replacement to put in and you're a successful team and you want to be winning these games and that's the priority. So I think that teaching these young guys in that environment, say you can get a backup point guard. I like I'm in love with it. Kyra Lewis, right? I'm pretty sure you're in the same boat with me. Kyra Lewis is my number one point guard in the draft for the South. There you go. You put, you get him at 14, right? Which is not crazy. He spends his rookie deal learning behind Kemba Walker. Kemba gets to like load manage a little bit throughout the, throughout the regular season, put some, put some more miles on the young legs of Kyra Lewis. That is ridiculous speedy. He learns from behind Kemba Walker and is going to the second round of the playoffs at least every single season. But and I think this, that there's so much value in that. Doesn't this, and this is this, what I'm about to say is my specific trainer for the, the option that I have the most optimism about. So I'm not all in on, completely committing to youth i'm not all in on completely completely committing to win now i mean i'm completely in on what we're about to discuss is having using two of these free picks and having two guys playing learning roles basically so kyra lewis would be ideal behind kemba and then bringing in a big and having him play a year behind but that's the problem right there isn't a big that he could play a year behind if you draft a good level big you're gonna want him yeah, but I, I don't know. Like, I think bigs are replaceable. I think they yeah, did a somewhat poor job in the offseason. Like, I don't with Cantor and Poirier, but I think you can get a decent one. Poirier projected well, dude. He come off a right. really good season in Europe. He just couldn't replicate it. Right. And like I've said this before, but we just don't know whether that was because Brad Stevens wanted him to get used to the speed of the NBA and we're going to see the real Poirier next year and then we're all going to eat our words. But right. I just, I'm not confident about that at all. Right. Or say like a Kong Wu falls in the draft and all of a sudden you package 14 with a couple other things and you move up or something like that, you know? So if you had to choose between picking picking up Lewis or a Kong Wu, do you go a Kong Wu? 
Yeah, I think I do. Like, I love a combo, and I think that he's he fills just a need a, more than lose such a better Daniel Tice. Like, such a better Daniel Tice. I think he switches ridiculously. He's a great rim protector. His offensive projection's not great, but he can play the Daniel Tice role on offense. And, and uh, I mean, he won't hit the threes right now, but, Neither you know, he Tice. can... Hmm? Neither does Tice. Yeah, but Tice will take them at least. Like, I don't even think a Kongu would. He'd probably just sit at, like, the at the elbow and do these little push shots that he is fairly successful with. But, like... Yeah, anyways, he would project fine on offense. He'd do okay, and he'd be phenomenal defensively. Like, he totally fits, fits the whole switch-heavy off uh, defense that Boston loves. I'd prefer Okongwu over Lewis, but if, if is not there, then Lewis is my number one guy. And then I don't care what you do with the other two picks. I don't care if you move out, draft and stash. I really don't mind what you do with the other two picks. If you end up with Kira Lewis at 14, do what you want. I, I mean, I like Tillman further down the draft in the late 20s if you pick up Tillman mm-hmm. but other than that I'm kind of chill I mean I've, I feel like the, the way they've towed the line has been fantastic to this point but I do feel like they're reaching a tipping point where they're going to have to choose one of these decisions and be like right we're either embracing the youth movement wholeheartedly or we're going directly into win now mode and some of these young guys won't be on the roster after the trade deadline so do you think embracing the youth movement means like you're trading Gordon for something or trading Kemba? I feel like if you embrace the youth movement, it has to be right. And I'm, so I'm not a fan of trading they do that, these guys for the record. Yeah, that, that middle ground that we've talked about. Do you think that there's a path that Boston does that and then it just looks bad? That this they just didn't take advantage of the opportunity when they had Kemba on the roster or something? What opportunity? It's a win. Yeah, like maybe they'd never get a never, another player that's the caliber of Kimba Walker alongside Jalen and Jason. You know, like is that a possibility if you go this like middle route? Yeah, well, no, if you're in the middle right, right, you don't make the trade. It's if you embrace youth that you make that trade. But yeah, there's always that risk, right? I mean, you're talking about you're talking about Kimba Walker, one of the, one of the premium point guards yeah. in the league. But it just depends if you're trading that. There's many, many serviceable up-and-coming guards that could hit that level of production. Uh, they're just not attainable. That's the difference. Do you know what I mean? It's not like they're going to move Canberra and pull out SGA. Right. You know, they're going to move Canberra and probably get back. What would you get back? I mean, to make the salaries match, you're probably picking up a bad contract. Yeah, it's a rough situation. Yeah, I just I don't see it being feasible, logical, or conducive to winning. I feel like they're right. going to have to walk this line until something, until the line snaps because it... The way the contracts are staggered as well is they're going to have some hard decisions to make sooner rather than later. And that's when it's going to be, which way are we buying in at this point? Because they're going to have to make that decision. You can't stand in the middle forever. You need Eventually, you're going to have to pick a lane. Yeah, you know, like Hollinger mentioned, like little things also like to help the cap situation, like taking the 30th pick and Cantor and Poirier and packaging it to Charlotte or something like that and getting some second rounder in return just kind of like as a salary dump. And they're going to have to get a little creative. And I think that having the excess first rounders, you kind of feel okay about doing that because like you're saying, there's not going to be this room on the roster anyways. And I think that's kind of the main thing with, if you're talking to keeping the older guys there, it's less like what you could get for them if you trade them. Cause I don't think you get much and it's more of, are they taking up too many minutes? And I, know, I, I think just don't that, think, sorry, carry on. No, you're good. Go ahead. I was going to say, I just don't think this is, the talent discrepancy that's going to be coming back compared to what's going out just doesn't make sense to me. Right, it's not going to be good. No, I'd I think that you only back. do that 
when there's a situation where, say, you have Kyra Lewis and you're two, two years down the line and he's been real good and all of a sudden you're like, okay, we need to get him more minutes. Then you can dump Kemba. You know what I mean? Yeah, you kind of wait to see who develops. Yeah, or you don't even dump him. You just wait out the contract. Yeah, it just depends on who – I mean, it depends on the strength of the next draft class, the strength of a free agency class that's coming up. What right. Is it? You know, a lot of these a lot of these factors will factor into any decisions made when you're dumping a guy or trading out from a guy, which is right. why I think that they're going to run it back with slight tweaks. And I like the way Holland just said what, you, what one of the good things they could do is keep a roster spot open and kind of just, you know, play hopscotch with, with 10-day contracts, bring a guy in 10 days later, hmm. cut him. And you're constantly keeping that roster spot open so it's not a roster spot on the salary books. But no matter what, they're going to pay tax. Right. Right. And they should get some like, okay, veteran deals. You know, they have this taxpayer MLE, which I don't have the number exactly in front of me. It's nothing more than like $7 million something like that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I don't think that it's 5.7 million is how much it is. Like, you know, you could probably get some okay veteran or something like that. Or if you're talking these 10 days, like there's always a Corey Brewer or Jonathan Simmons wants to come back around or Isaiah Thomas or something like that. So, yeah, I mean, I definitely don't mind the idea, and you know, one just hope one of them sticks. Pretty much. What's your thoughts on Isaiah Thomas going for that hip surgery now and saying that he's been playing on one leg for the last three years? I mean, I need him to like prove that he still has two legs. I guess, like, I mean, not my- to be harsh, but like he's been not nothing close to that, you know, Boston level. Yeah. So my initial thought when I saw that tweet, and when I saw him put out like I've been playing against the best players in the world on one leg. I was mm-hmm. like, well, if you knew that and you were playing through pain and you knew that you were hurting your value and you were really damaging the opportunity to get any form of paycheck down the line, wouldn't you just go and have the operation three years ago? Yeah. Like, I, I don't understand why he's left it three years and being cut from three, multiple teams, failing to make, like really solidify a role on one of these teams. Wouldn't you have just said, look, I'm not right. I'm going to go and get this operation now. Why wait three years? That's what yeah. really confused me. My impression is that he didn't understand like the severity of it at first, you know, and maybe it inflamed when he kept playing or something like that. I shouldn't speculate on it, but yeah, I, I don't know. It's it's a weird situation. And, and yeah, I mean, I just need proof that he actually has like that first step back, you know? Yeah, and I mean, he's aging as well. So his last three years of wear and tear on your body so that first step's going to be slower than it was anyway right and a guy that size is so reliant on that sort of speed and athleticism in that way yeah because otherwise how are you going to get open looks at the rim and he was so good at carving guys open off the dribble oh yeah he was insane his change of pace uh, was the main thing he had that little like schmitty move and the way that he absorbed and played through contact i i will never forget like the change from going to isaiah thomas who absorbed so much contact, lived at the free throw line at this tiny dude. And then all of a sudden we switched to Kyrie Irving, who just like somehow bends his body to avoid everyone in the air. And it was just like such a different style. I used to love watching that dude play, man. Who? Which one? Little Oiti. Okay, I figured. That Did you good. enjoy Kyrie, by the way? I enjoyed Kyrie, like, but I felt like it got sour quickly. Very quick, dude. Like, yeah. do you remember? Like, I'm sure most everyone does at the freaking season ticket holder event. He's like, Yeah, I'm, I plan on re signing if you guys will have me. And then, like, 
what? <laughs> like, no, don't... I, I was so excited. I was like, wow, I actually think I'm going to love watching Kyrie Irving for however many years. Okay, there's the question. Do the Celtics win the playoffs this year if Kyrie's in place of Kemba? Healthy. If there was a healthy, happy, like willing Kyrie Irving, I think the Celtics would have had a real good shot the last two years. Yeah, you I'd know? agree with that. But like he just, it wasn't working. It wasn't working. What if they the, there was this weird IT. power dynamic, you know? Switch, switch IT out for Kemba. King of the fourth level IT. With this version of Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, would they have took the Lakers? Actually, yes. That's insane to say, but yes. like That, yeah, come, that IT so. was so clutch, and they yeah. missed a clutch player in this playoffs. I think they would have won. I really That's did. so bad to say, because like, <laughs> oh, God. Like, but next year with Kemba coming back with that experience, like, I don't know. I guess, like, I think of Kemba as a killer, but I guess, you know, we didn't see it, obviously, this playoffs. I don't think we saw it at all this season. I think no, was, Okay, actually, bashes. I guess there were moments, I will say, that probably within the last minute and a half of games, he's hit a lot of shots, but he never hit, like, the last one. And I never once felt like, oh, Kemba's got this. You know when you watch a game and you see... I, I, I don't know. I kind of did, at least for like a possession here and there. Yeah, I never felt like, you know, you're chasing it. You're chasing a team that's up by six or up by eight and there's a minute left on the clock or one thirty left on the clock. I've never sat there this season and thought, that's okay. Kemba can do... Like, Kemba's going to pick the team up and put them on his back. I mm-hmm. felt that way about JT. Um, I felt that way about IT back in the day. But I've never felt... I never had that confidence in Kemba this season I just feel like what I expected to see from him and what we did see from him just didn't match yeah I think it was it was spotty I saw it at times but I think that previously we were complaining about Kyrie and it's the complete opposite at this point I think part of that was because Kemba was just so unselfish and willing to let other people take those shots so like I think he's gonna watch it back and be like you know and same with JT that like hey there's moments where we just need to go into our bag and just and just make it happen. You know what I mean? I think yeah, the team almost shared the ball a bit too much, which is a great problem to have. Yeah, it's a fantastic problem to have. But if you're Kemba Walker and, you know, you've carried the team like Charlotte all those years and you've single-handedly but That's the thing. Won. It's a, a team like Charlotte. You know, he's in Boston. You know, like. Yeah, but that means you've got more opportunity to carry a team because there's so many people that can pick up the slack. Yeah. And I, that was the thing. He did defer too much. And I, I'm not saying I want to see him turn into a, a, a Kyrie light or become a crazy ball hog. But down the stretch, if, if he's hot, I want to see him really put the team on his back and will them to a victory. Because that, yeah. like you said, that's what they were missing against Miami. They were missing somebody that could just flip that switch. And we spoke about this before. There's times when I watch LeBron play and I'm like, you know what, LeBron's on. LeBron's on his game tonight. That's it. There's, it's a wrap. Yeah. And you're only in the third quarter. I, I, right. not, I don't watch the Celtics and feel like I sometimes I feel like that with JT but you always know that one that first miss or second miss is going to take him right out of his rhythm and I think that people need to be patient in that like Kemba could be that guy next year this was his first year on a team like this you know yeah, like this is a completely year. new basketball situation for Kemba yeah and I completely get that and I'm completely understanding about that and I'm very optimistic about what this team can do in the next year or two but I do feel like relying solely on the bench, these young guys that they've got now, they're going to fall short again and we'll be having the same conversations next year. Maybe. Um, 
Yeah, I, I hope that Time Lord or Romeo can come in and, you know, say the 14th pick can show some promise. I think that those guys have had some learning time, and I would hope that, yeah, specifically Romeo Grant and Time Lord can feel like somewhat impactful pieces, you know, especially regular season. I think two of the bench guys this year, so Romeo, Grant, Time Lord, I'm trying to think who else would be on there that I'd put in. Or at least two of those three need to take a decent jump. Yeah. Yeah, Carson's decent jump would just put him at where Romeo was this year. That's not good enough. Carson would have to take a quantum leap. Yeah, I think one of two of Grant, Romeo, and Time Lord are going to need to take a big developmental step forward if you're not going to be picking, making trades and picking up some vets that way. Yeah, and, and you know, I don't think it's crazy. I mean, these are good draft picks that have showed some promise throughout the year, so... I think that um, pretty much does us. I think so. Say bye, Brendan. Peace.